Cutting through an overload of information to get to the heart of the story. This is The Point. brought to you by The Point with me, Liu Xin. In this series, I dissect stories that are making headlines around the world and talk to my guests to compensate for the missing pieces of the puzzle. So this week, we're looking at media reports on Hong Kong as it marked 25 years since its return to Chinese rule on July the 1st. Are they more celebratory or derogatory? What angles are emphasized and what kind of Hong Kong do they want to show to the world? First, a quick recap. It was a big week for Hong Kong. Chinese President Xi Jinping traveled to Hong Kong in what is known as his first visit outside the Chinese mainland since the COVID-19 pandemic broke out. He attended over 10 events, the most important of which, of course, would be the inaugural ceremony of the six-term government of the Hong Kong SAR led by the new chief executive Zhang Li and other celebrations marking the 25th anniversary of the city's return to Chinese rule. President Xi gave a highly anticipated speech at the inaugural ceremony in which he made it more than clear the central government's commitment to sticking to the one country, two systems arrangement. There's no reason for us to change such a good policy, and we must adhere to it in the long run. From disarray to good governance, Hong Kong is entering a new phase of becoming more prosperous. The next five years are important for Hong Kong to break new ground and achieve another leap forward. He also praised Hong Kong for having made irreplaceable contributions to the country's economic miracle and hailed the resilience of the Hong Kong people who have weathered all kinds of challenges, including social unrest and the COVID-19 pandemic in just the past few years. There is indeed a lot to celebrate if you take a look at the hard facts. Hong Kong's per capita GDP, for instance, has doubled since its return from 25,000 USD to nearly 50,000 USD. The stock market value increased by some eightfold. The average man and woman in the city are living six and five years longer, the highest life expectancy in the world. Hong Kong has consolidated its status as the international trade finance and shipping center, its total foreign trade and goods more than tripled to reach around 1.3 trillion US dollars in 2021. It's the mainland's largest source of inbound direct investments and outbound investment destination. It's the world's largest offshore renminbi business center, handling over 70% of the total share. As of April 2022, over 1,300 mainland enterprises were publicly listed in Hong Kong, accounting for over 53% of the total number of companies listed there. As one of the busiest and most efficient international container ports in the world, Hong Kong handled nearly 18 million TEUs of containers in 2021. The port provides some 270 international container liner services per week, connecting nearly 600 destinations worldwide. 
But it's not just about economics, it's also about governance. According to the World Bank Group, Hong Kong's uh, percentile rank in respect of the rule of law was some 70 in 1996. It kept rising steadily and since 2003 has remained consistently above 90. That's higher than the United States after 2018, as you can see in the blue line. Now, after the new national security law was enacted for Hong Kong, the city's rule of law, which was feared to have been eroded, has actually remained intact. This was backed up by the latest rule of law index of the World Justice Project, which showed Hong Kong ranking 19th out of 139 countries or territories in 2021, similar to the UK. So despite ups and downs, there's a lot to look forward to. Hong Kong's next chapter includes making the city into a global hub for innovation and technology, a center in the Asia-Pacific region for international legal and dispute resolution services, and a center for cultural and art exchanges. 25 years after return, Hong Kong emerged from instability and is now on its way to prosperity. That's the expectation from the central government in Beijing. But how has the Western media portrayed the milestone? This week, we group the samples into some themes. Let me explain. First up, the tendency for media stories to use headlines laced with opinions rather than reporting on the facts. There's no shortage of such examples. Here's one from the New York Times that says, she tells a muted Hong Kong that political power is for patriots. Political power for patriots? Isn't it the same for any country around the world? In the United States, would they allow power to be shared by those deemed unpatriotic? Why is it a problem for Hong Kong to be run by patriots? The headlines cause Hong Kong muted, but the same article says that people enjoy their liberties, which under the one country, two systems arrangement appeared, quote unquote, mostly intact. So why the loaded headline? The Washington Post says China's Xi begins victory lap in Hong Kong. Locals are wary. But this victory lap phrase was plucked from one analyst sharing his personal opinion. Other analysts who have other sides of the story were, well, not quoted in the headline. Muted, maybe. And it's clear what the article wants the readers to believe, right? And surely not all locos are wary. This headline is better suited for an opinion piece, maybe. And Al Jazeera. As China tightens grip, Hong Kong's luster as world city dims. Tighten grip. I've seen that a thousand times, haven't you? It's so boring. I mean, if you want to talk about this, at least find a different expression or a different way to put it, right? Or maybe the writers or the editors are tired of smearing Hong Kong too. Beware of such word game, by the way, when China strengthens national security, it's called tightening grip. When a Western country does that, what would it be called? Improving governance or promoting national security? All these stories in my eyes miss one big point. The measures taken by Beijing over the past few years was a reaction to the brewing political instability in the city. For years, Beijing adopted a largely laissez-faire attitude towards Hong Kong's affairs, only to find the situation potentially spiraling out of control, compelling the central government to intervene. That's what happened. Don't get that wrong. 
And then there's the Wall Street Journal with a headline that reads, Xi Jinping visits Hong Kong to mark anniversary, capping crushing of dissent. Wouldn't just the first part suffice for a news story headline? An objective headline is really hard to come by these days, it seems. Now, in contrast, this headline from the South China Morning Post looks neutral and down-to-earth. Xi Jinping's speech at 25th anniversary of handover ceremony is most definitive assessment of one country, two systems and a calming pill for doubters. Beijing official. The next thing we noticed is some questionable logic being used to support a certain idea. Here's what I mean. And this is a story from AFP published by Radio France International about Hong Kong's economic importance. The article shows how Hong Kong's economy has evolved since 1997, saying China's meteoric rise in the past two decades yielded vast benefits for Hong Kong, which became the gateway for mainland firms to raise funds and for foreign businesses to access what is today the world's second largest economy. That is true. But then, the article says, Hong Kong's GDP, meanwhile, has gone from being equivalent to 18% of mainland's in 1997 to less than 3% in 2020. Well, it's also true. But does it mean that Hong Kong's future is uncertain? I don't get it. According to the article, which uses data from the World Bank, the Chinese mainland's economy was less than a trillion dollars in 1997, and now it's something like 15 trillion US dollars. Of course, the relevant importance of Hong Kong, the city, dropped. It's only natural, right? Does that mean the future of Hong Kong is uncertain? Not necessarily. But it does show how data can be skewed to try and paint a certain picture. And finally, Let's talk about photographs used in articles on the 25th anniversary. Most of the articles we just talked about use the same, almost the same combination of the same formula, police, protests and pandemic, as if that's all what Hong Kong is about. Since they say a picture is worth a thousand words, I'll save my breath. A few media, including the CNN, The Guardian and uh, Washington Post actually came up with the idea of publishing photo galleries to sum up Hong Kong's recent history. Good idea, nice idea, but take a look at some of the pictures that were on show and tell me how you feel about these images. British soldiers posing with brick with broad smiles, a British royal family inspecting the poor in Hong Kong, all British gentlemen posing for a group photo, so on and so forth. The colonial era looked romantic, almost with a touch of nostalgia. Not only that, you would also notice all these media use the color black as a background, implying what? That this is something to mourn for instead of to celebrate? For the West, maybe it is something to mourn for, that they are losing leverage and influence in the city, that Hong Kong is no longer a defenseless place, that under Chinese rule, Hong Kong, despite challenges, remain alive and kicking, that China has managed to bring stability back to the city despite all kinds of efforts to destabilize it. Let's mourn, indeed, for the West's failure to use capitalist Hong Kong to sabotage socialist China. The day when the West is able to accept that fact that Hong Kong is part of China, socialist China, we may see more neutral reports in the media. 
That's my monologue on this subject. We'll take a short break and when we come back, we'll discuss the subject of Hong Kong's 25th anniversary with uh, three panelists from different parts of the world. Stay with us. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. <laughs> we then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. General Railway Company Hear the difference. Join our global network to connect with the world. Making room for all opinions and seeing events from more than one side. This is The Point. Welcome back to Headline Buster. I'm pleased to be joined by three guests from Hong Kong, Legislative Council member and board member of the United Nations Association of China, Ms. Nixie Lam. Professor Rick Dunham from the School of Journalism and Communication of Tsinghua University is joining us from Washington, D.C. And Professor Wang Jiangyu from the School of Law of uh, the City University of Hong Kong joining us from Hong Kong. Uh, to all three of you, welcome to this edition of Headline Buster. Let me go to Nixie first because you are in Hong Kong. Tell us a little bit about the mood uh, in the past week in the city. Um, I know, of course, not everybody would be happy with the occasion, but uh, um, what is the general mood, uh, uh, you know, in terms of a celebration of this very important anniversary? I think people are very excited, despite that we have a little typhoon in between. The people are quite excited, perhaps parading the celebration and as well at the day. Uh, some of my uh, previous voters, my, my constituency members, were sending me little videos of photos when President Xi Jinping was giving his speech on, on TV. She actually waved her little flag and look, uh, make a little video to me to say, I'm listening to the, to the talk and stuff like that. So I see a lot of the things, like the normal citizens, are quite excited about the occasion, especially after what's been happening in 2019 and 20 and all that. And we sort of, we know, like a lot of the international media is trying to make us look bad or things like that, but that is totally not true. If you walk in the street, all the positive vibes actually came out. Yeah, but if you just read some of these stories, you feel as if, you know, it's something to, to mourn for or that everybody is wary. Uh, Rick, I know you, uh, yeah, you are a frequent on the show. I know not all of these media uh, are representing, how should I say, yes. uh, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't make the worst out of these, uh, oh, I shouldn't say that these headlines represent everybody in the international media. I guess some of the headlines are um, more leaning to one side of the opinion than the others. But how do you look at the difference, Rick, between the celebratory tone that Nixie just mentioned in the city and what you get from these headlines, you know, as I mentioned, for instance, using black as a background for these reports as if it's really, you know, something to, to cry for. Well, as usual, I agree with some of your analysis and I disagree with others. I, I, I do think that what you're saying about having black as a background uh, is wrong because I, I, when I teach in my multimedia journalism course and photo galleries, I teach that you want to have a black background because it makes it more grounded on, on a screen or, or on, a, on a page. Whereas if you have white in a background, it sort of floats in air. So I, I don't think that that is an edit showing editorial bias, but some of the headlines, you definitely were right. Uh, they were what I call clickbait headlines, 
and they did not reflect what was in this story. I think the stories were, uh, were, were, were much more balanced, had different points of view. I mean, they had some points of view that you would disagree with uh, and that the Chinese government would, would disagree with. And I, I, do, I, I do agree uh, with uh, Ms. Lam that, uh, that there, there wasn't as much about the celebratory atmosphere, just like the 4th of July in the United States uh, this, this, this year. I mean, most of the coverage in the United States was on another mass shooting on the 4th of July, not okay. happy people in, in most of the, of, of the cities. But uh, I mean, ov overall, I, I, I do think that most of the coverage that I, that I read uh, reflected a wide range of, of thoughts. Uh, but, but I do agree with you um, that there are certain themes in a lot of the international coverage uh, that are critical of the uh, actions that the government in Beijing and, and, the, uh, and, and the leadership in Hong Kong have taken uh, over the past three years. Well, I can, I can understand your, your interpretation could be different, the use of color black, for instance. However, um, my uh, observation has been, for instance, uh, they don't use black as a background for every story, for the other you know, uh, stories that they want to highlight, for instance, only the story about Hong Kong is set in black for these particular, for, and, and for several of these media as well. And black, you know, um, in, in the Chinese culture is definitely a very heavy color, you know, it's not something for happiness. I doubt it is the case in the Western uh, culture as well. So I think there's a message there. Um, Professor Wang, what is your read of uh, this, you know, this, uh, uh, the use of color black. Being based here in Hong Kong, uh, what I'm seeing very happily is a very now a normal functioning society which comes back to life. And uh, people are, are generally quite happy here. But I do understand that the uh, international reporting, especially Western media, ever since the national security law has been adopted, you have a change of perception and uh, the misleading in many ways that Hong Kong is becoming, Hong Kong is dead and Hong Kong is being muted and Hong Kong is becoming an authoritarian society. So that has become kind of a stereotype, uh, the fixed impression, but I think it is misunderstanding. There is the gap between, uh, between what people feel here between, and between the uh, international perception. I, I, I certainly hope the gap can be shrink more and more in the future. Uh, now, President Xi talked about Hong Kong changing from um, stability to prosperity. So I want to focus on that question here. Nixie, what is your understanding? Uh, do you think Hong Kong is really poised after going through this very difficult period of time? Hong Kong is poised to go from the period of stability, of newfound political stability to greatest uh, possibility. Yeah, I think it's quite important. Previously, in quite some time, for some quite some time in Hong Kong, we've been dragging into this political argument uh, for every single issue, basically, in town. And that is no good for Hong Kong. If any city they wants to develop themselves or anyone wants to have a proper family build up or career build up, you need a stable society to start with. Um, after the enactment of the NSL, we actually already have a more stabilized Hong Kong and, and, and the whole society went back to normal. But and then we need something to boost our future and bring us to prosperity. 
And that is, I think, the foundation of one country, two system, which is to have the uh, Patriot running Hong Kong, Patriot administrating Hong Kong. Uh, we already done that. And uh, I think at the moment, especially after the 1st of July, the new government, we have our first meeting, uh, having the new chief executive coming to the Legislative Council. He mentioned about a lot of plans to actually tackling local issues that a lot of the civilians have been scratching their head and trying to solve those issues. And, and things are already there. So I think that is why we are, we're talking about we already went from stability to prosperity because everybody having hope. If you went down to the streets of Hong Kong, a lot of people are actually discussing on giving ideas and how we can do things together. And, and I think the atmosphere is totally possible. Hmm. So basically, you are talking about a, a general sense of optimism for the future, for yes. the next 25 years, for instance. Rick, um, do you think that optimism is picked up in the West, not just in the media, but also by politicians or by the general public, that actually in Hong Kong there is a sense of optimism, whereas in the West they see the direction of the city going in a, in a more pessimistic direction? Is that the impression? I agree with you. That, that That is the impression, and that's the impression that's left uh, by coverage. Uh, I, I do think that there is a slight difference between this long, the long-term optimism uh, about the economy of, of Hong Kong uh, and short-term challenges, because there are short-term challenges in Hong Kong, in Beijing, uh, all around the world, uh, with the uh, economy, uh, a global recession being feared for the year ahead. Uh, for Hong Kong, the structural issue is that Hong Kong is growing and growing in a way that the rest of the world would be happy to, to equal, uh, but it's growing uh, less quickly than the rest of, of China. And so really, to me, the question is, can Hong Kong find some of the dynamism and innovation that some of the other uh, growing uh, centers of the economy like uh, Shanghai and Shenzhen ha have had, and then also overcoming COVID and the supply chain uh, issues that there have been. Uh, these are short-term economic, economic challenges. But I, I, I do think that the coverage has been so much on uh, the stifling of political dissent that there is very little uh, on the, the economy and Hong Kong's uh, role and really the international uh, vibrance that still is there in Hong Kong. Nixie, yeah, Nixie, um, how do you see the kind of uh, reassurances? Actually, I think he made it, uh, he really tried to make it more than clear. As I said, he can't make it clearer what Beijing wants from Hong Kong. Did people get that message? I think more people are doing a lot of the translation of the whole speech and things like that. I think it's much better than before than previously. I have to be honest to say that in Hong Kong, a lot of people didn't really care about what the President Xi was having the plan for Hong Kong and things like that. But at this moment, we know that it's the foundation to have our stable society and how to excel ourselves. So a lot of people are trying to look into the speech and see what are the future for us. And especially for a lot of the local issues, as I mentioned, we've been basically hanging there for 10, 15 years, didn't really run because of the opposition has been trying to basically start and object everything in the chambers. But at the moment, we are actually looking at some concrete plans on how to restart and re, uh, re restructure the whole city's um, backbones on how to solve issues and things like that. I think poverty is a very significant issue, as Professor Wang just mentioned, that it, it shouldn't be existing in Hong Kong as such a wealthy city, a well-developed city. 
That's why yesterday our chief executive has uh, announced that he will have a special task force to actually look into the issue and having a 2,500 mm-hmm. people plan to look, help the most uh, vulnerable people and how to support them to make, make sure that, that that issue will be looking up. Okay. Rick, um, do you think what President Xi said really uh, got picked up and uh, can reassure any people in uh, or can be seen reassuring by people in the West or by those uh, pundits in the West at least that uh, Beijing genuinely wants the system to work in Hong Kong, wants to keep Hong Kong special and relevant? I mean, it, it got picked up, but it didn't get the same em- emphasis uh, as as the uh, negative or critical uh, comments. I mean, I do think that there's some skepticism. Critics will never be won over. Uh, critics of sure. President Xi Jinping in the West will, will not be won over. But I, I do think that there's some coverage of this being one country, two, si- two systems when it comes to economics if not for politics. Uh, and I think that that's significant, that there is some, some coverage of that, because almost all the coverage uh, for months had been the end of one country, uh, two systems. And President Xi Jinping, in his speech, by outlining uh, his vision for the economic uh, component of that continuing, I do think was important for the world to understand. And, and I do think, as it's repeated again and again in coming months, I think more people in the world will understand. Hopefully. Thank you very much for your analysis and sharing your insights with us. Nixie Lam joining us from Hong Kong, Professor Wang Jiangyi joining us from City University of Hong Kong, and Professor Rick Dunham from Tsinghua University are joining us from Washington, D.C. With that, we come to the end of this edition of the Headline Buster, brought to you by The Point with me, Liu Xin. As always, you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter using the handle Liu Xin in Beijing. You've got The Point. Welcome to My Stories of Chinese Characters, Season 2. I'm Uncle Han Zi. This season, we will travel to different destinations and experience the different sceneries throughout the year. This season, we will taste delicious foods. Delicious, how sure. Feel the delicacy of Chinese silk. Some people say that this is the world's first computer because each one of these is an instruction. And enjoy the local architectures. Yes, it's a big house, Chuanzhou's Wu We will feel a sense of camaraderie on the slow train. And feel the excitement of the snowfields. Yes! 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 I'm Uncle Han Zi. This season, we will take you to see a different China from the perspective of Chinese characters. Meet us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and other major podcast platforms.